Good morning. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here, and we're going to take a look at God's Word. Uh, before we do that, uh, we're going to be turning to Mark chapter 1, so you can turn there now if you uh, want to. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about this Giving Tree Christmas offering. I'm going to be brief, uh, but I just want to make sure everybody knows what we're trying to do, and uh, in, in hopes that you'll be excited like like we are, um, and I, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about this. Um, I sent a letter to you. I hope you got that. And uh, I also, we sent an email this week that provided some clarification on it as well. Let me just hit some of the rugs. Uh, let me hit some of the facts, some of the main facts for you. Every year we do this, we have a Giving Tree Christmas offering. We've done this for several years. Uh, and the giving goes to some families and ministries here in Orlando that we uh, want to serve and that we partner with. And we usually put a tree over here and, and we bring the gifts on one day. And so this is something we've done. Uh, normally about half of our families and individuals participate. That's pretty good. Uh, that's pretty exciting. And in fact, normally the offering that we give to the community amounts to around $10,000. Uh, that's really exciting that in addition to our giving to our church and to the community, we give even more to the community around Christmas. Uh, this year we're going to get a little ambitious and we're going to try to do the single double triple. Okay. Uh, the single double triple means this. We want to give all of our giving tree Christmas offering to a single organization and we want to try to double the participation. We would like a hundred percent of us to participate in this year's giving tree Christmas offering and we want to triple the amount we normally bring in to $30,000. Here's the rest of the facts. Okay. The gift that we would like to gift give the one thing if and you know this if you got the letter but in case you didn't what we're trying to do is buy an ultrasound machine for the women in east orlando and give it to the cornerstone pregnancy center which is down rouse take a right on colonial they're not far away they're one of our ministry partners we would love to buy this machine and the equipment that goes with it for thirty thousand dollars it's not that much money when when you look at uh, all of us uh, chipping in uh we would love to give this to them because it'll give them an incredible way of serving women and unborn children in the community and like i said in the letter 80 percent of women and 90 percent of men who are considering abortion change their mind when they see their child on an ultrasound. And if we buy this for them, they'll be the only place women can get a free ultrasound within 15 miles of UCF. Okay, So this is awesome. Very, very important thing that we could do. Uh, every year we have a certain date in December, a Sunday in December, that we bring forward the gifts that we've bought for the community. So we're going to do that same thing. Uh, but again, all the gifts will go towards this uh, ultrasound machine. But December 15th is the day. So that's only four weeks away. So we've got to be thinking about that. Uh, Fact number three is that this is over and above your normal year-end giving. i got to throw that out there because we can't do this instead of our normal year-end giving to the church. We need to make budget so we can continue to do all the things that we're doing uh, for the community and for uh, our, our spiritual formation. So make sure you still do your normal big year-end giving and then see if on top of that we can all squeak out a little bit more to buy this thing. And then the goal ultimately is to save lives. Okay, uh, It's an incredible opportunity. And if we all chip in a little bit, we're going to get there. And then uh, sometime after December 15th, we will go to the ultrasound store. I don't know where you get them, but we're going to get one. <laughs> Ultrasounds are us. We're showing up with a checkbook. And then uh, hopefully one day we will meet one of these children who the Lord brought into the world uh, through the ministry of Cornerstone and our partnership with them. I mean, can you even imagine? Whew. Okay. 
We're walking through the book of Mark, and we're looking at uh, the uh, first chapter, verses 21 through 28 this morning. So if you're not there in the Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you need a Bible, we provide them underneath the chair in front of you. And if you're going to use one of those, it's on page 1064. 1064, Mark 1, 21 through 28. Hear now God's holy and true word. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word and its power. Father, we are thankful for your Holy Spirit who will... Uh, work in our hearts even now to help us see the majesty of our Lord Jesus in this text. Father, would you use this time to equip us to run with the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations? For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Talking about authority today, uh, Jesus cross-shaped authority. His authority uh, shaped by what he would do for us on the cross and uh makes me kind of think about the fact that if you're like me, kind of have a love-hate relationship with authority. There are certain times where I'm so thankful for authorities in the world. Other times, not so much. Um, an example of when I think we would all be thankful and excited is if we were being mugged and there happened to be a police officer just a little bit away, probably glad that there's authority in the world at that point, might say, excuse me, officer, uh, can you help me with this? And then hopefully he comes over and helps you out. So obviously we, we like authority in, in that sense, but there's other times. And let's just, just imagine, none of you have ever done this, but imagine you're driving on the 408, and all of a sudden a little silhouette of a state trooper appears in your rear view. You've never done this, but imagine you look down and, oh, you're going a significant amount of miles an hour over the speed limit. And again, nobody's ever done this, I'm sure. But at that moment, you're thinking, oh man, the authorities are here. This is bad. This is bad. And you start praying that little prayer, the speeder's prayer. Lord, please let him go by me. Get to let him do something else. Give him another crime to go do something else. And I will slow down. Okay, so we have this, this love-hate relationship. Sometimes we're really thankful and glad that there's authority, and other times we, we get nervous about it, we, we want to even reject it. Now, think about that. You know that's true about you, and it's true about me. So how does that affect our relationship with Jesus, who is the ultimate authority over all things? And what we're going to be looking at today is that uh, Jesus' authority, he is the authority, he is the authority over all things. And the more we understand him, the more we know him, the more we know who he is, the more we are glad and thankful for his authority. It becomes always a wonderful thing that we are thankful for. In fact, the more we know him, the more we value the fact that he is in authority 
And by corollary, the less we know him, the more we're going to always reject his authority. So knowing him is key. And our hope is that we know him a little better uh, this morning. So we're talking about the cross-shaped life throughout this whole series, the life of a disciple. Okay, and so this morning's gospel fact is this. The cross-shaped life is marked by glad amazement at the authority of Jesus Christ. Glad amazement. Okay, if you're making an outline, we're going to talk about this in three ways. I want to talk about uh, Jesus' authority to send, his authority to silence, and his authority to save. To send, to silence, and to save. Let's jump in, looking at verses 21 and 22. Look how Jesus knows everything about us. By the way, keep your Bibles open. We're just going to walk right through this text. 21 and 22. Jesus knows everything, everything about us. Look at this. Uh, It says, 21. They went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, the they that Mark is writing about is Jesus and then the four disciples that he has already called to himself, like we talked about last week. He called them to himself, to his mission and to the church. So that's the they that are going into Capernaum. Now, how interesting, because Capernaum is a place on the Sea of Galilee, on a trade route where a lot of fishermen lived. And so Jesus tells these fishermen, I'm going to make you become fishermen of men. And then he takes them to a town filled with fishermen to teach them how to become fishers of men. See, he knows them. He knew them. He knows everything about them. And he knows everything about you and me. Why is that? Why does he know everything about us? Well, let's take a look. Notice in verse 22, it says that they were astonished. Now, that word astonished is where I got that phrase glad amazement, because that's kind of a literal translation of that word in the Greek. So the astonished is a good astonished. It's like a wow. A shocking astonished in a very positive way. That was the reaction they were experiencing as Jesus was teaching, because Jesus was teaching them the truth. He was telling them things, truth that was penetrating into their hearts. And they were uh, pleasantly surprised and positively astonished by it. Now, it says, Mark says that he was teaching them with authority and not like the scribes. Now, this isn't a a jab against the scribes. It's just showing that there was a difference. The scribes would come on the Sabbath and they would teach in the synagogues. And what they would do is they would take a passage of scripture and they would talk about it, but always by appealing to what other scribes said about it. That would be the way that they would do their thing. They would always appeal to different scribes. This scribe said this and this other scribe said that. And that was how they taught. So Jesus, Jesus walks in. He just starts saying, this is what this means. This is what this is about. Why? Because he has authority. That Greek word authority, exousia, it's a special word. It means something very special about Jesus. And like a scribe, I'm going to refer to another modern day scribe named Tim Keller. It's what he says. Okay. He says, Mark uses the term authority for the first time. The word literally means, listen to this. The word literally means out of the original stuff. It comes from the same root word as author. Mark means that Jesus taught about life with original rather than derived authority. He didn't just clarify something they already knew or simply interpret the scriptures in a way the teachers of the law did. His listeners sensed somehow he was explaining the story of their lives as the author. And it left them dumbfounded. 
It left them with glad amazement. And that's the thing. Jesus knows us because he's the author. He's the one who's written our stories. And the more we get to know Jesus, the more we realize how well he actually really knows us. Let me say that again. The more we know Jesus and learn about him and understand him, the more we see he actually knows everything there is to know about us. Uh, there's a story about a 10-year-old boy that I heard uh, several years ago. And it's about a 10-year-old boy who uh, was in a car accident and lost his left arm. But nonetheless, he decided to study judo. And so he begins taking judo lessons with an old Japanese judo master. And after a few months, he had really only learned one move. The judo master had been focusing him on just one move. So eventually, the young boy says, Sensei, um, loving this move, but... Uh, don't you think I should probably learn some other moves? And his sensei responds and says, look, this is the only move that you know, but it's the only move that you'll ever need to know. And so, uh, like a good student, the, the boy just continued to work with the sensei, work with his uh, judo master, and he's getting better and better at this move. And then it comes time for a tournament. And so he gets enrolled in this tournament, and he goes, and to his surprise, the first two matches go by like that. He wins, he uses his move, no problem, okay? And the third match, a little more difficult, but he does win. And actually, uh, eventually, he's in the finals. To his surprise, he's in the finals of this tournament, and he can't believe it. And nobody, nobody else can either. But here he is standing there. He's in the finals. And what happened was his opponent was so much bigger than him and apparently so much stronger than him that the ref actually blew the whistle and called a timeout. Right as the match began, the ref blows a whistle and calls a timeout, goes over to the sensei of this young boy and says, look, I don't, I don't think this is a good idea. I'm afraid your student's going to get hurt. And the sensei says, nope, let him continue. And so the ref does just that, and the match resumes. And sure enough, it was, there was a little bit of struggle on, on this boy's part. But you know what? At some point, his opponent let his guard down. He does his move. He takes him down, and he wins. And now he's won this entire tournament. Okay? And he's, he's elated. He's excited. On the way home, he's talking to his sensei. They're going through each match and how he used the move every time. And eventually the boy asks a very critical question of his master, his judo master. He says, sensei, um, how did I win this tournament with only one move? And the sensei replied, you won for two reasons. First, you have almost mastered one of the most difficult moves in all of judo. And second, the only known defense for that move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. <laughs> now think about that. This sensei knew, knew his student. What he knew about his student that his student d didn't realize that his greatest weakness was actually his greatest strength. Jesus knows us like that. Jesus knows us better than that. Jesus knows every single thing about us. He knows you. He knows what you're good at. He knows what you're not good at. He knows what you're scared of. He knows the sins that you've committed. 
He knows the thoughts that you've had. He knows everything about you and me. He is the author of all of our stories. That's why he has authority, because he's the author. He's the one who's written this whole thing that ultimately brings great glory to his name. He knows us, and when he calls us to himself, to his mission, to his church, he knows us. And this is not new. This is in, we see this in the Old Testament. Um, there was a, uh, you know, when Moses was called to speak for God, if you know the story in Exodus, Moses was called to speak for God. And uh, Moses' reply to God was, uh, I, don't, I don't speak very well. I don't, I don't speak very well, God. And God responds in this amazing way. It's a paraphrase, but here's basically what he said. He says, Moses, who made your mouth? He knows us. He knows everything about us. And here's what's so such good news about that. When we're called to him to trust in Christ for our salvation, and when we're called to his mission, here's what we need to realize. The one who's called us to his mission is the one who made us the way we are. That's important for a church that wants to be missional, that we understand that Jesus knows everything about us. He knows us. He made us the way we are, and so we can trust him. And we can feel encouragement and excitement about his authority because his authority is one of the author. And so we can look at him no matter what he's calling us to, and we can celebrate and we can say, I'm going to trust you. You're the one who's writing this story. You're the one who's written this story in eternity past. And so we can celebrate that. It's good news to know that Jesus' authority comes from the fact that he's the author of all of our stories. But we also need to see uh, the, Christ's ability to, to silence. So that, that shows his ability to send us. He can send us into mission because he knows everything about us. But he also needs, we also need to know that he has the authority to silence. So let's talk about Christ's authority to silence, 23 through 25. And uh, here's what we want to see. Jesus knows what, what holds us back from mission. And by mission, I mean proclaiming the gospel and demonstrating the gospel. And these are the things we're talking about as a church moving forward in these things. He knows. He knows what holds us back. Take a look at verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Stop there for a second and think about the contrast. Because the last time that Mark referred to the spirit, he was talking about a whole, the Holy Spirit. Now he's talking about an unclean spirit. And when we talked about the Holy Spirit in the first few passages of the, of the book of Mark, what we talked about is that the Holy Spirit, we're being, by faith we're being baptized, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he is, he is making us holy. Okay, So the, the, um, the Holy Spirit's role is to make us holy or, or clean. So what do you think the goal of an unclean spirit is? The goal of the unclean spirit is to make us unclean, to make us unholy, to make us do things that bring shame upon the name of God and our own name as well. That's what a, that's what an unclean spirit wants to do to you and to me, to get us to do things that make us unholy. In other words, to get us to sin. Well, how do they do that? Well, let's look. Look at verse 24. It says he cried out. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That phrase, uh, what have you to do with us? It's actually a, a common phrase. You see it a few times in the Old Testament. There's, it also shows up in other ancient Near Eastern culture. It's basically a statement of war. It's almost like saying, look, there's only one reason you're standing in front of me, and that's to do battle, so let's get it on. That's kind of what, that's the type of thing. Like the demon knows why Jesus is there. And Jesus knows why he is there too. He's there for battle. He is there for battle. Is he going to destroy him? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. First, he's going to disarm. 
in an incredible way. And then he's going to ultimately destroy. Talk about that in a little bit. But I want you to see this. How does he do this? How does Jesus go about disarming in preparation for completely destroying the unclean spirit? Look what he says. Verse 25. Look at it. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Be silent. And doesn't that tell you, doesn't that show us how unclean spirits do their dirty work? It's by speaking. At this point, they were able to enter into a body and possess that body. But Jesus has disarmed them in a way that they're unable to do that. A believer cannot be possessed. That's good news. But what we can see in principle here is the way an unclean spirit does his dirty work is by speaking, still saying things to us that are untrue, saying things to us that are untrue, making accusations that are untrue, causing us then, therefore, believing those lies, believing those false accusations to do things according to those lies that ultimately cause us to sin and then feel the guilt of that sin. Uh, Think about this. The choice that Mark has already made to refer to Satan, okay, who's in charge of all the unclean spirits, uh, the, 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 the choice that Mark has made, look back in verse 13 there, uh, to refer to him as Satan. Now Luke and Matthew call him the devil, but Mark calls him Satan. And Satan is the devil's Hebrew name and it means the accuser. Okay, and we know that Jesus says that Satan, the devil, is the father of all lies. And so we know how he operates. He lies. He accuses. That's how he does his dirty work. And so when we sin, it is we we are the ones sinning. We are guilty of it. But we have to realize that it is because we have believed the lies of the devil. I mean, this goes right back to the garden, right back to the garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were made holy and upright. They were walking with God. They were obedient to God. And then did the devil come in and make them sin? No. He spoke. He spoke and basically accused God of not being good and withholding good things from them and lied. And they believed that. And then in doing so, in believing that lie... They then take the fruit, took the fruit, they ate and made themselves and all humanity unclean. So this is the age old practice of the devil and all the demons, Satan and the unclean spirits to speak lies and accusations that cause us. And then we believe those things and it causes us to do things that make us unclean, make us unholy. Now. Now think about this. Uh, what is what context is this happening in? So we don't want to just extract this story about Jesus from the main story of the Gospel of Mark, which is Jesus' mission. Not only to go to the cross, but to make disciples. And so we were seeing this happen. We're seeing Jesus do this in front of these guys who he, whom he has just called to himself and to his church and to his mission. So this is done in that context. And we need to see it too. We need to see how demons, how unclean spirits do their dirty work so that we can rejoice in Jesus' ability to silence them. Because I want you to think about this. We're seeking to be missional. We're seeking to be a church growing in our ability to proclaim the gospel with our words, demonstrate the gospel with our deeds. We want to do more mission. But a lot of us, and myself included, struggle. Okay, and I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the fact that we all, like take evangelism, for example. Uh, 
as we've been talking about becoming more missional and learning how to share the gospel more with our friends and our neighbors and things like that, uh, everybody has said, I know I'm supposed to be doing this as a Christian. Nobody has said, actually, I don't see this in the Bible. You know, everybody knows. We know it, right? This is not news, but we're scared. Okay? And so we're scared, and so we, we, we don't do it that much. And after we don't do it, we end up feeling bad. We feel guilty, and we feel ashamed, and we just wish we had the strength and the courage. And then look at this passage. Now think about this in light of what we're talking about. Think of what Jesus does here in silencing this voice. I want you to think about this. If I was the devil, I'm not, uh, but if I was, and I didn't want the people of a church to share the greatest news, the news that will bring the message of salvation, I would tell some lies to that person. You know what I'd say? I'd say, you can't do this. You're not equipped for this. You don't know what to say. You're going to look like an idiot. You should not do this. You know why? Because if the person believes that, all of a sudden they will tie their own hands and close their own mouth. And once they've made that decision to not do this, oh, then I can really kick them when they're down with the accusations. You're not going to share the gospel? What, are you not a Christian? Don't you love Jesus? What's wrong with you? Then the guilt comes in and the shame comes in. What does that do? That pushes us even farther from the one who came to redeem us. In relationship anyway. It's a brilliant plan. But it's being foiled. It's being foiled. The plan will not work because Christ is king. Because he's in authority over our lives, over our story. And that is the picture here. That Jesus is the one in control. Satan cannot control our bodies. So he goes after our minds and after our hearts. And gets us to doubt And then he lays in the accusations so that we feel the guilt. And here's where Jesus sets us free. Here's where Jesus says, no, you listen to me. Don't listen to those lies. You listen to me. Because here's the thing. The way that we're going to all become more missional over time, over the next seven years, part of the 2020 vision, the way this is going to happen is not going to be by us just pulling ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and getting out there and getting it done. It's going to begin... By our recognition that we have believed lies from the devil. And the guilt we feel is from accusations from the devil. Jesus loves us just as much. No matter what. That's not going to change. The cross proves that. So we don't need to listen to these lies. We don't need to listen to these accusations. We need to remember how the devil does his dirty work. How he is seeking to hold us down and keep us from doing the mission that we've been commissioned to do. And the more we think about this, the more that we will be in glad amazement and and thankful for Christ's authority over us. Because here's the thing, and this is the the hard part, okay? I've got to say hard things like this. Um. Myself included, when we are those those thoughts are in our mind that we can't do this and we're not good at this and we're we're not called to this. When we feel that really those are the lies of the devil, God would never say that to you. okay? God, those are the lies of the devil. And ultimately what we do is we let those lies be the authority. We let those lies have authority over us. Until we see the majesty of Jesus and how he breaks us free from the authority of lies and accusations by clearly calling us to himself, showing us how well he knows us, showing us, showing us how much he loves us, and, and showing us by the fact that he's called us that he's going to be able to use us because he's the author of our story. He's the one who silences the lies that hold us back by giving us ears to hear the truth that will set us free. 
That's why he taught first. That's why he taught and got them uh, just being amazed by what he was teaching. He wanted them to experience that joy of saying, wow, he really knows me. He knows everything about me. And then he shows how he's the one who can silence the voices that are going to hold us back from this incredible mission that we have. And therefore, therefore, if we see that his ability to send, his authority to send is because he's writing our stories, his authority to, to silence these, these voices is there so that we can move forward, so that we can listen to his voice and move forward in mission. One of the things that we're going to have to do is we've got to repent. We've got to be a repentant church. I mean, if we've let the lies of the evil one control us in any way, we want to repent of that. We don't want to be under that tyranny. And so we do need to repent. But repentance uh, is, is only possible when we really see that we are saved, when we really are able to rest firmly in the finished work of Christ on the cross, in our justification by faith. So let's lastly look at Christ's authority to save. Christ's authority to save in verse 26 through 28. And here's what we want to see. On the cross, Jesus not only paid for our sins, but disarmed our enemy. He not only paid for our sins, but he disarmed our enemy on route to complete destruction of that enemy. Look at 26. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. There's another word, different word, but also means amazed. Okay, as they're as they're seeing this happen, they're amazed at the fact that Jesus' words are true, they're penetrating their souls, and his deeds are effective. He's able to cast out this demon, he's able to to clean this man of the unclean spirit. Okay, he's able to silence that voice in that man's life. So they're, they're, they're rejoicing. They're amazed at the fact that Jesus' words are true and his deeds are effective. And that points us directly to the cross because the words that Jesus says that if we trust in him, we'll be forgiven. And the deed that he did to prove that and to facilitate that was the cross. But not only that, we also see Mark point directly at the cross in the words that he chooses to use here. It's amazing. Look back at verse 26. Look at 26 again. And he says that the unclean spirit was crying out with a loud voice and came out of him. Many months from now, when we're finally in Mark 15, verse 37, we're going to see that exact same Greek phrase. You know who it's about that time? It's about our Lord. It's about Jesus. Mark will tell us that Jesus cries out with a loud voice and then breathes his last or gives up his spirit. And so Mark, in this incredibly important moment, points directly at the cross. Pointing us directly at the cross and the fact that Jesus' death on the cross resembles the death of this unclean spirit. Which is the picture of how Jesus sacrificially takes out our enemies, first by disarming and then by destroying. And the way he does it is through the cross. By allowing himself to be destroyed, he facilitates the destruction of our enemies. You know what's really interesting? So powerful. In the um, Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, in the book of Judges, there's one person that is referred to as the Holy One of God. One of God's holy ones. 
You know who it is? It's Samson. Now, I don't have time to tell you all of Samson's story, but what I can tell you is that Samson's story is very interesting. Samson is one of the judges of Israel. He uh, gets himself in some trouble. He's a very strong man, but loses his strength and then is, sort of regains it for one special moment. And in that moment, he is tied up and uh, he is unable to really do anything seemingly. All of the enemies or the, the majority of the enemies that are, are terrorizing God's people are all in this building, the building that he is tied to. And in one last moment of strength, he pulls and these pillars fall out from underneath the building. The building comes crashing down and destroying and killing all of the enemies of God's people that are inside. But you know what? He dies too. Samson allowed himself to be destroyed so that the enemies of God's people could be destroyed along with them. And Jesus is the true and better Samson. Jesus is the one who allows himself to be destroyed so that our enemies and gods can be first disarmed and then ultimately destroyed altogether. That's our king. But he's the true and better Samson because he does not remain dead. He resurrects, he rises from the grave to prove that what he's done has been accepted by God as righteousness for us and destruction for our enemies. Praise the Lord. That's good news. That's really good news. Jesus not only paid for our sins, but he also is setting us free from these lies by silencing these voices by willing to be destroyed along with them so that we can be free. Here's what Paul says about it in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen? That's our king. You know what the best part is? Jesus knows us. He's called us the way we are to himself and to his mission. Some of our greatest weaknesses are going to turn out to be our greatest strengths in telling the world, telling Orlando this incredible gospel. He knows us and he's called us and he's going to use every single one of us. He's got these amazing plans. And here's here's the beauty, the best part. As our lives reflect Jesus' authority more and more, as people see his authority over us, his fame spreads. Look at verse 28. It's right there. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. For those of us who truly know the Lord, that is sweet, sweet news to know that he's going to use us the way we are. He's paid for our sin. He knows everything about us. And he's going to use us in ways we can't even imagine so that his fame spreads, so that the gospel advances, so that the nations are glad and we get to be part of it. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would forgive us for the times that we have 
let the lies of the devil be in authority over us and break us free. You are the one, Lord Jesus, who silences those voices. Help us to hear loud and clear over these voices of the devil. Let us hear your voice, especially your voice that you cried out with as you paid our debt on the cross. And empower us now, Lord, to ignore those lies and accusations of the evil one and, and, and experience the glad amazement of your authority, the one who has written the stories of our lives, and you've written them in such a way that they would include us being part of your mission, a privilege we will maybe never realize how great it is. Empower us so that we might proclaim and demonstrate for your glory and that your fame would spread to all the surrounding region and to ultimately to all the nations. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.